it's become such a common symptom. I find at least one out of four patients who've come to us with gut health issues complaining of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Hi, I'm Dr. Dimple Jangda. I'm your podcast host and I welcome you to A Gut Story. This is a podcast, a platform where we're going to discuss healthy everything. A healthy body, healthy mind, healthy emotion, healthy energetics and a healthy spiritual journey. We're going to also discuss stories of courage, grit, confidence, discipline and patience that helped several people overcome tragic events in their life and physical trauma. And we're also going to learn from several natural sciences like Ayurveda, naturopathy, homeopathy, yoga on how to reset our body back to good health and bring ourselves back closer to nature. Welcome to A Gut Story with yours truly, Dr. Dimple. Today I have with me a very special guest and a friend, Nidhi Pandya from New York City, who is a third generation Ayurvedic practitioner. She has been practicing Ayurveda ever since she was a little girl. Now she's so into it that she educates others through a social media platform. She's creating a lot of content for different publications as well. And she also educates audiences at various events, workshops, corporate sector, yoga houses, name it. She is everywhere making sure people get this juicy information that can improve the quality of their lives. Welcome on board, Nidhi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here and it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, Nidhi. I'm going to start off with the very first question because I know you're very passionate about the circadian rhythm. You speak quite often about it on social media, that we're diurnal beings, not nocturnal. We respond to sunlight. We respond to the position of the sun. We respond to moonlight as well differently. Why is it so important for us to sync our body to the circadian rhythm? What happens when we don't and how does it really impact our gut health? Yeah, so absolutely, right? So we're all interconnected beings and that's extremely obvious. I mean, even if you slept through a, through an entire day, it would firstly feel in, unnatural. It'd be very, very difficult for you to sleep through an entire day. Even if you were awake for the whole night, sleeping eight hours in the day would be hard, right? So you know there's something happening inside the body which tells you to wake up in the daytime and sleep at nighttime. Now, this is a very evident example. But beyond that, and besides this, that we have a chemical environment that shifts as the day shifts. And this chemical environment is supported and suited to specific functions, whether it's waking and sleeping, whether it's digestion, whether it's even active thinking, whether it's sexual activity, we take cues, right? So we have a laboratory that's set up within our bodies for a certain function. When we work with this laboratory, it's like swimming with the tide. You're not doing any work. You're letting your body carry you through these functions. Versus saying that I'm going to try and stay up at night. It takes effort. It takes effort not from your mind, but physically your chemical environment is not suited to stay up. So you're working against the tide. The same thing happens for our digestion, which is really at the core of our health. When we are eating at times when you don't have the right chemical environment, the right gastric juices, because they all have a clock of their own, then you're kind of your body has to work extra hard to digest that food. I will tell you, yes, people say, hey, but I've trained myself to stay up at night that is possible to a certain extent and people get used to like late dinners 
that is possible to a certain extent but really in the long term it's all going to create damage you may be easier staying up than another person who's not because you've kind of fooled your body into believing that and your body will try to work with you for a certain amount of time the body will say hey if you really want to stay up at night okay fine i'll i'll help support you in this but at the end there is exhaustion swimming against the tide so really working with a circadian rhythm is like swimming with the tide letting natural body chemistry take you through functions we see this i one of the most beautiful examples that i like to use is that in when we see the cycle of the moon it's 28 days it comes to a peak and then kind of the moon fades away our period cycle is 28 days right that's how connected we are to all cycles of the universe to really tune into that and make life easier than the complexity of the modern day health trends absolutely in fact our agni our metabolic fire also corresponds to the position of the sun we have this kapha clock pitta clock vata clock the ayurvedic energy clock which tells us how much food to eat based on the position of the sun right so what is typical circadian rhythm or an ayurvedic clock that you follow and you recommend to followers and listeners lovely lovely yeah and you know i have been trying to stray away from constantly using terms like kapha pitta vata which you and i for us it's like our primary vocab but that being said right like for somebody who's just starting out i say hey let's look outside to know what's happening within and when you see in the morning when we wake up i say hey it's dewy outside right it's wet outside things are starting up slowly if you even hear the chirping of the birds in the morning it's a very slow loving chirp that's what your body is doing it's wet it's slow it's sluggish and it's trying to wake up what is the evidence not because i'm saying so but we often feel like people who have nasal congestion have more congestion in the morning people have eye boogers sluggish stiff joints in the morning that's evidence that you outside it's dewy and moist the body is dewy and moist what do you do in the morning you exercise that's why you get the body moving to warm up the metaphor i use in my head is of a scooter you know when i was in india growing up people would kind of put their pedal on and and then get their engine started so you're getting your engine started get your body moving first what do you eat you eat if it's moist and it's cold you eat something warm and spiced so instead of eating fruits which has become the common thing these days fruits are also moist they're also cool in their just in their touch so instead of eating fruits i say eat something cooked even if it's a hot glass of spiced milk haldi dood whatever it is right have something hot in the morning that's because it's cold outside cold inside as you come to the afternoon hours around you know 10 to 2 the sun peaks the heat in the world peaks metabolic activity in the world is at its peak plants cannot do photosynthesis most active time on the planet for diurnal beings we also most productive work in all offices anywhere right whether they start at 8 or they start at 9 between 10 and 2 most of the productive work gets done the metabolic activity is at its highest take advantage of it eat a big lunch if whatever you've dreamt of indulging in do it over lunch good quantity lunch if you've done that morning breakfast which is light and warm and spiced it, your lunch will not make you sluggish sometimes people are like oh my lunch makes me so sluggish either because they've eaten big breakfasts or they've just had a lot of fruit for breakfast 
and then the agni is not functioning very well. To eat a good sized lunch, you don't want to of course overstuff yourself. That's the time. Work, eat between 10 and 2. After from 2 to 6, what we see outside is that the sun is setting, wind is picking up. Even when the temperature is same, but you step out at a 4 o'clock, there's a little bit more gentleness in the air, but it's also wind. Same thing happens in our body, wind sets in. What's the evidence? The 3.30 afternoon lull. The desire to stretch at your desk, ah, you know, because wind gets trapped in your own joints, in our own joints around that time. Uh, and you know, that lull that the wind brings, what you need at that point then is to kind of go get some fresh air. People often resort to caffeine. You can also do tulsi tea, take some good kapal bhati breaths but you activate yourself. See, ideally we were supposed to be shutting down. That is our sign that slow down your body. But we've become the generation where we want to like extend productive hours. Of course, if you can slow down best, if you can't, then go get some fresh breath of air, etc. After six o'clock, if you see birds chirping, settling back home, everything becomes very earthy in the world outside, slows down. It's a very introspective time. From six to 10 is the time to slow down every hour by hour to dim lights, you know, if six o'clock it's you turn on the lights, you start dimming them, seven, seven thirty, eight. By nine thirty, ten, you want it completely dim. Dinner, which was not, we're not supposed to be really big dinner eating species because we didn't have electricity back in the day. We were diurnal mammals, we can't, we don't have nocturnal vision, but we've become this dinner eating species. But if at all, dinner has to be eaten around six, six thirty, a light dinner, because just if you think about it, our ancestors couldn't eat a big dinner. They could not lay a table and eat multiple items and have lanterns everywhere. It's just not what they did. They couldn't heat up their food in the evening. So they usually had, you know, like a soup or stew. And then after 10 to, if you're hungry, if you've stayed up till 10 and you're hungry, I would say do a hot cup of milk. And then 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock now, the Western world has proven what Ayurveda always said is it's the time where your melatonin, which is your sleep hormone, is at its best so getting sleep between 10 and 2 is free repair time your body says you shut down so we can fix everything we can remove cells that died today we can repair those that need repair and we can have you really like become as new as possible i tell people sleep as close to that 10 o'clock mark as you can if not 11, 12, but try and get some sleep between those 10 and 2. If you can get four hours, you're living a, a very healthy life. And then after 2 o'clock, the body has gone through its nightly repair, pretty much around then. Sometimes people wake up to pee or they break into a sweat around 2 o'clock. Body temperature changes because that repair has happened. And at 2 o'clock, again, the body becomes it's cleansed. Thoughts have been processed. The body has been cleansed. And, and it's not the kind of cleanse that takes you to the toilet, but it's a different type of repair. And things become light inside. And that's why if people who wake up between two and six have the hardest time falling asleep. If you wake up at 11 o'clock to pee, you'll go back to sleep. You wake up at 12.30, you'll go back to sleep. You wake up at 2.33, it's harder to sleep because your body has this kind of etheric space which gets your nervous system riled up. That's why in the Eastern world, they say if you wake up around 4.30 Brahma Murta, there is space in your nervous system. Use that space to learn something new, to chant mantras because it's an opportunity. And sometimes people learn something in the morning and they forget it in the day because it's gone in their subconscious. It's a window to your subconscious in those hours. It's ideal to sleep. You can't sleep 
I'd say do yoga nidra or hear a meditation, mantra, but really use that period. Six o'clock again is ideally wake up time when your body naturally has a bowel movement. So these are the six cycles of the day, you know, morning, wet, eat warm breakfast, afternoon, get your work done, eat the biggest lunch between two and six, you know, it's windy, settle down, get some tulsi, get fresh air. Six to 10, start slowing down. If you want to eat dinner, eat at six, 10 to two, get deep sleep. From two to six, manage to keep yourself in bed. That's such an easy way to remember. You know, I like how you have connected every part of the day, every part of the energy clock with natural elements that's happening outside our homes, you know, because by just listening to the chirping of the birds, we know it's time to wake up. By listening to the chirping of the birds again in the evening, we know it's time to relax, it's time to settle down. And we learned how to grow our own food, we learned how to cook our own food, but we've also taken the liberty to break a lot of rules and work against the nature of our Honey. own body. And that has affected our gut health, our mental health, emotional and physical health. I want to talk to you about another topic which I know you passionately advocate, and this is a need of the hour. Cooked food over raw foods. Recently, a Russian vegan influencer died at the age of 39. It was very sad and heartbreaking to see what was going on. She's been on a raw vegan diet for 10 years, and she had only raw diet for the last six years without any water in her diet. And she used to do a lot of other things like dry fasting for days together, which is very healthy. But unfortunately, in her situation, it aggravated her agni in the wrong direction. And she eventually succumbed to a very bad intestinal infection. Why do we always recommend cooked foods over raw foods in Ayurveda? What's your take? So basically, even if you do a little bit of research and you just say, hey, when did man start cooking with fire? And what happened to our digestive systems as a result? And one of the things that we'll see in that response is always that this is research beyond Ayurveda. That as we started cooking, our gut started consuming less energy. As a result, our brains grew. It is really what has made us human. As our brains grew and we became evolved, we it set us apart from our ape counterparts. We became this species. We were not human beings till we didn't cook our foods. We were a different species. Cooking has made us human. It has allowed us to have this crazy brain, which no other species on the planet has because our gut microbiome changed. Our agonies became lit. We started, we said, let me use energy from the world outside to cook my food so I'm not consuming all of it. I feel like if you tell anybody in the world to imagine going to a forest with amazing fruit, like you name it, lychees and mangoes and guavas and pineapples and all of that, can you imagine surviving and feeling nourished in that forest for a long time? You can't. As human beings, we have adjusted, our bodies have adjusted, otherwise our microbiome gets distorted. We, we go back to being primitive, we go back to being we are regressing. Eating raw is regressing into a species that we came from. It takes warm for things to transform is my rhyme that I often use. Unless it's warm, how can it transform? Warm foods, cooked foods, so easy on the gut. I'm very good on the Agni as well. Like, you know, the metabolic fire obviously responds better to cooked food. We absorb and assimilate our nutrients better. And raw food, there's always this risk of parasites entering our gut. 
like leafy greens like spinach and celery, cilantro, curry leaves. They have parasites growing on the surface, which is invisible to the naked eye. We have tapeworm, tapeworm eggs, bacteria like E. coli that cannot get destroyed by your vegetable washes, which are too mild for them. In fact, E. coli comes from uncooked foods, including uncooked vegetables, meat and dairy products, unpasteurized dairy. That can also give you E. coli. Right? So that's one of the main reasons, like I keep pushing cooked food to all my clients as well. And I love that, you know, Ayurveda has so much intelligence on how we've evolved into the human being that we are because of this cooking process and civilization process. You also spoke about sprouts, you know, sprouts has become like the superfood that everybody is going to go on thinking that, you know, it's making them healthier. But Ayurveda has a different take on sprouts, which I really like. I find it very interesting because every time I tried eating sprouts, my body would reject it. Yeah, so basically in Ayurveda, there's something called Sandhi Kala in the day as well, right? So whenever things are in transition, either in the day, it's between evening to night, afternoon to evening, morning. There's Sandhi Kala in your periods of life, which means from childhood to adolescence. There's Sandhi Kala in seasons, which is from winter to, you know, winter to spring. Anytime in Sandhi Kala, when seasons are changing or when the day, time of day, there is a high volatile energy because the doshic balance is changing, right? Things, energies are changing, chemicals are changing in our body to adjust from day to night. Those are vulnerable times for our body. Now, anything that is in the state of this incomplete transformation, so a sprout is in that state of incomplete transformation. It is not the seed that it was. It is not a plant that it can be. It has just sprouted. Its potential for latent heat is tremendous. Like it's like little extra heat, it could erupt, right? That's where it stands. If you keep sprouts outside for half a day, you smell how it smells. It ferments so quickly because it has those active elements. The ability for the bacteria to multiply is tremendous in sprouts. That's why the, the pungent smell, that's why the sliminess. So it's a very tricky food. I'm not going to say people should never eat it. You enjoy it in your pani puri. Cook it a little bit, put a little bit of haldi in it. It's an indulgence. Eat it for joy. My problem is when people say, I'm going to eat this as a health food. You're going to notice a lot of inflammation, indigestion, gas, because it's a food that is in transition. There's a lot going on, a lot of active, active elements inside to enable transformation. No, that's true. That's such an important concept for people to understand that the food is fully cooked and ready for digestion, absorption and assimilation. You don't want the food fermenting in your gut or creating new bacteria, which happens also with a lot of wrong combinations of foods like milkshakes. You know, people mix milk with fruits like apples and bananas and berries and cherries and strawberries, mixing yogurt with fruits. These are a lot of Virudhahar concepts that we talk about in Ayurveda, right? Which also leads to fermentation of that food in the gut and thus releasing gases and causing symptoms of bloating, flatulence, indigestion, acidity reflux, and now a new phenomenon called irritable bowel syndrome, which probably didn't exist back then. It's become such a common symptom. I find at least one out of four patients who've come to us with gut health issues complaining of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. But look at the combinations of foods you're eating. You can't just mix everything in a single meal and expect your stomach to digest it. What are the Viruddhahars that you specifically stress on when speaking to your clients and students? Uh, I think the, I'm going to talk about the ones that I see very often and I see banana and milk often. Because banana and milk is used in smoothies and like, you know, shakes and, and all kinds of things. So banana and milk is something which I think is, I see a lot of. 
I see a lot of tomatoes and cream. I see a lot of salt with the cream and the tomatoes, extremely crazy. I see a lot of heated honey. People are like, oh, I'm sick and I'm putting honey in my tea. I'm still not getting better. Of course, that's the reason why I'm not getting better. Right? So those are a few combinations that I see people doing a lot of. I would say, and sometimes even milk and savory foods, milk and salt, you know, that because they add cream to so much. So when you add that kind of cream to salty foods, that's Virudahar. These are the most prevalent ones. The honey and hot water can always be avoided. The banana and the milkshake can always be avoided. But the others, I understand. People will go, they'll order their pasta, which has periala vodka sauce with a little bit of cream and tomatoes. I'll say, it's okay, once in a while you indulge, it's fine. Don't make it a practice. And don't do it in the name of health. Like the hot honey, name of health. Banana milkshake in the name of health, don't do it. So these are the virudahars. Sparingly, once in a while, I think you mindfully indulge, it's fine. Absolutely. Anything in moderation, your body can withstand. But when you aggressively, excessively do it, then your body's going to start breaking and showing symptoms of disease. And those symptoms are literally asking for help. The body is literally asking for help, saying that this is the beginning of damage. Whether you have irritable bowel syndrome or constipation, diarrhea or bloating or indigestion, acidity. If it has been in the body for more than 14 days, it has become chronic. It requires medical attention. You can meet an Ayurvedic doctor. Start addressing it at the root by fixing your diet and lifestyle. Nidhi, I would love to ask you, what are your favorite spices and herbs that you swear by in the kitchen? Especially spices, I know you're big on some of these spices like you know, cumin and fennel. What are your favorite spices that you think we should incorporate in our diet every single day? I'd say every single day, I keep it super simple, right? Like I look at the Indian masala box and yeah, we use cumin and mustard and hing or asafoetida. I always use haldi every single day so it's a very standard but if i have to pick you know beyond these four things that i incorporate quite regularly i would say is is ajwain carrot seeds that we i also live in a country which is quite cold but i think in general we can do a little bit more of ajwain everybody can do a little bit more of ajwain because it really helps to clear blockages right it can be very heating in a hot summer so that's the one time you want to be careful but otherwise, uh, or if you have a really, really hot body, even then you can do sparingly. Dried ginger, I think is, is greatly advantageous, especially if you're healing from anything. So ajwain, dried ginger, and fennel would be the other three simple spices that I end up using a lot of. And then of course there's herbs that I, you know, like my standard herbs that, that are my go-to, but these are the spices that I would say beyond the simple everyday spices. And cloves, oh. We're big on cloves, but I don't use it in the foods as much. We use cloves in the cheek pocket whenever we are tired. We use cloves to just feel better. That's wonderful. In fact, we use clove whenever we have some kind of tooth decay or dental issues. We immediately put clove oil or just chew on a piece of clove. And we also are big on cardamom in some of our homes. You know, we love to chew on a piece of cardamom with some misri, which is goni sugar which is an excellent mouth freshener. In fact, I start my day with a piece of cardamom soaked in water, I mean peeled and soaked in water, and then I have it while I'm chanting or praying because it helps in improving the quality of my water as well. What about Nidhi, Dhinacharya rituals? Tongue scraping, oil pulling, gargling, which ones do you practice every day and do you recommend to our followers? And what are the benefits? So I'll tell you for me, my favorites are tongue scraping, Nasya and Abhyanga. These are my three favorites. Trunks, tongue scraping is just stimulating your tongue, your taste buds, 
your digestive system, cleaning the gunk from your tongue in the morning. It has, it, it has a residue from digestion that's left over. Super easy, takes a few seconds. So that's why I love to do it. Nasya again takes only a few seconds. It can be initially dis uncomfortable to a few people, but I say the benefits are so strong that that little bit of effort, it doesn't take time, again, 10 seconds. So these two, easy. Abhyanga, I don't know what I would do without Abhyanga. I can't function without Abhyanga, putting oil on the body. I wish I did oil pulling more regularly, I don't. But in terms of the official Ayurvedic Dhinacharya, this is the three routines, rituals that I try not to miss on, on any day. That's amazing. And in fact, Abhyangam is something so simple that everybody could start practicing to reduce their part-time balance, which has become so predominant given our fast-paced lifestyle. We're in and out of vehicles all the time, in elevators, in escalators. We're constantly in a state of movement or conflict within our body. And nowadays we started doing a lot of irregular things like, you know, drinking and gulping water while on the run, eating while we are in the car. All of this is leading to a lot of part-time balance and a simple Abhyangam can actually help you reduce the part-time balance in and what about Ayurvedic rituals for children? Because you've been introducing your child to Ayurveda from a very young age and she speaks Ayurveda, like she speaks with so much intelligence. What other yeah. rituals that you recommend for young kids, like foods that you recommend, herbs, spices? So of course I have two daughters and both of them, one is 15, one is 11 and they have basically lived Ayurvedically. I say I keep it very simple and exciting for them. They have been doing Neti since they were younger. So Neti is not Ayurvedic, it's more a yogic tradition, but that, that they've been doing Neti since they were four, four or five. There was a period where they did it more regularly. I don't think they you need to do it regularly because it'll corrode your mucus lining. But they do it every time they feel a sniffle. Every time they feel like something's coming up. It's listen, it's amazing. Like the benefits that it has given us. So they may do it, they may end up doing it maybe 12 times a year now, that's it. But Whenever they feel a sniffle, they make their own own pots and they do their own thing and they love it. So that's the one thing they do. My girls drink, so the way I introduce them, I mean, firstly, all our foods are cooked, right? Uh, water is never cold. Milk is never cold. We go out on vacation. They want to have cereal, milk, cold, go for it. Anything outside the house goes. Inside the house, milk is never cold. Water is never cold. Foods are always cooked. Lunch is heavier. For kids, you can also do heavy dinners, not a problem. Milk and and breakfast, if it's savory, if it's a salty breakfast, it never goes together. The girls already know that. It's no effort because that's how they were raised. Uh, the other thing, the only other thing I'll say is that my girls are okay taking any kind of herbs. They've just done it all their life, so they're fine. If they have to take, I don't do a lot, but like we have winter herbs that go into the milk. I have summer herbs that go into the milk. I have like spring herbs that go into the milk. Every season has a different herb, spice, more herbs that are boiled into the milk. And my girls are obsessed with teas, right? So we do a lot of, if it, whether it's chamomile, whether it's lavender, whatever they can get their hands on. Like it was a joke right now. We'd had a big family vacation in Europe and it was a joke while everybody's finding their orange juice and this and that. My daughter Suhani always is like sitting with her cup of tea. So they, they know and they know what tea to drink at night. They, they know the chamomile in the evenings and what to do. So it's just, they'll always have teas in their own bags. And like, it's not something that I've given, the, the tradition is something that I've shared with them. It's a ritual we had when they were younger, but it's not something that I've done like, hey, when you're outside, they, it's, just, it's just fallen into place. It's their favorite beverage is an herbal tea. 
Oh God, it's so amazing when we introduce young children to Ayurveda because we're allowing them this opportunity to own their body, own their health and not having to discover the hard way how health should be regained. Some of us, you know, unfortunately, like in my case, my parents didn't have access to Ayurveda. They were not introduced to it. And I grew up having a lot of surgeries, a lot of diseases, and I had to learn Ayurveda the hard way. And I'm clinging onto it, hoping that I pass it on to my children, you know, so that they can have a healthy start and a fair start. Otherwise, it actually sets you back by a few paces when you're always sick and diseased when you're in school, right? I want to ask you, also another thing I know which is very personal to you, like Ayurveda has spiritually contributed to you as a person. Yes. Ayurveda to spiritually elevate yourself, improve your consciousness and awareness and evolve into a more conscious being. How is that connected, Ayurveda and spirituality? So I'll tell you how they are connected in my case and I feel like with everybody, right? For Ayurveda to be the way Ayurveda works for anybody is you become really in touch with your body, with the gunas. Am I feeling hot? Am I feeling cold? Does this create lightness? Does this create heaviness? So it's an introspective science, right? If you do it introspectively, if you do it prescriptively, it's different. But you, when you do it introspectively, which is how I teach Ayurveda, like I, sometimes I feel like, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I brought this whole new school of thought to Ayurveda, right? That's what I've been told, that it's a different school of thought. But it's more about bringing, making it very introspective. And when you're constantly tuning into your own body and how it's feeling and how it's sensing, to me, you're connecting more with the spirit than you're connecting with matter. And when you connect more with the energetics, with the more in between the lines of your experiences. Your, the connection with your spirit is what makes you spiritual. When you become self-aware in one place, you become self-aware in all places. And that's really what has happened. I also had an upbringing where we were taught to be very self-aware, where it was Ayurvedic and Vedic and Jain and Buddhist and Hindu and all together in one big family. So I was also raised with that. And then I see how Ayurveda has further helped me to go in that direction. That's absolutely true. When you raise awareness even in one part of your life or your brain, it improves awareness in all other aspects of your brain and your life. It's like a ripple in the electromagnetic field of your entire being or your brain. One little act affects the whole. You cannot separate that one act from the whole ever again. And that's the deep impact of Ayurveda, yoga or any sciences, natural sciences that awakens you. You can't undo it it always takes you up higher and higher and higher, right? I really am glad I could have this conversation with you, Nidhi, because as always, you come with so much information that's so practical, that's so believable and logical and also rooted in modern science, research, and at the same time, rooted in traditional sciences. What is your last message to the followers on how they can improve their health on a daily basis, be it their physical health, mental, emotional, and spiritual health? I can just say that you have to ask more questions within you rather than outside of you. It's simpler than it seems. Health is about coming back home. That's such a powerful thing. Whenever you find yourself in conflict, look within for answers instead of looking outside because the outside is always going to be noisy. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be chaos. There's always going to be contradictions. You know, one day the research people will say this and then a few days later the scientists will say something else. You know, Earth was once flat and now it is round and now it is also flatter on the polar edges, right? On the poles. So science is constantly growing and evolving and this is what I say to people at all times. Remember that nature created human beings and life 
and human beings created science to understand the miracles of nature. So science doesn't become the mother of nature. I'm so glad we could have this conversation, Nadi. I'm so glad that the followers can listen to your wisdom and learn from it. Thank you so much for sharing all of these insights with us. It was information-packed, if I might say. We discussed so many aspects. We discussed cooked foods over raw foods. We discussed the circadian rhythm. We also discussed certain superfoods like sprouts and herbs and spices, Ayurveda for children, Dhinacharya rituals. There's so much in just one conversation. So that's all we have on today's podcast episode on our gut story with Dr. Dimple. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will continue learning from the masters. Lots of love and kindness to you until then. Thank you. Hey guys, if you like this episode, don't forget to leave a comment below so we can learn how to improve ourselves. Like, subscribe and definitely share this with your loved ones, your friends, family and relatives so you can become an influencer of good health in their lives. Until my next episode, here's wishing you unconditional happiness, love, forgiveness, kindness, empathy, compassion and everything that you do. Here's Dr. Dimple Jangra signing off.